in Christ at Ephesus. We saw two major themes in the text last week. He had heard of their faith in Christ and their love for the saints. Told you that uh, those are two things that go hand in hand throughout all of Scripture. I asked you, if you have faith in Christ, do you have faith in Christ? Have people heard of your faith in Christ? Secondly, do you have love for all the saints? Have people heard of your love for all the saints? Are there those markers in your life that would verify your faith in Christ? We talked also about how to respond when someone does have faith in Christ, when someone does have love for the saints. When you hear about faith and love, how do you respond? Well, we don't respond with congratulations, right? As if that person has done something great because they didn't do something great. God did something great. And so we praise him and we congratulate him and we celebrate him, right? The proper response to a profession of faith is thanks to God. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And you had a little opportunity to do that, not with a profession of faith, but with new members of the church and the kid family. I hope no one said congratulations, did they? I told them not to. No one said congratulations. I hope they said praise the Lord, thank God for this. And you're going to get an opportunity later this morning to do that with a, a new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a brand new believer who will be baptized in the next couple of weeks to come along and say not congratulations, young man, but to say praise the Lord for this gift he's given. Thank God for what he has done in your life. And we give him all the glory and all the praise. This week, we're going to see more of the contents of the specific prayer that Paul offers for the saints in Ephesus. He's going to bring up some important concepts uh, and, and teach us how we should pray for new believers. So look at it in the text, chapter 1, starting in verse 15, going through verse 23 today. It says this, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. God, thank you. For this great truth that we look at today, that you have spoken to us and you have revealed yourself to us in your word. You have breathed it out and it's good for us and it's profitable for us and it's powerful. And I believe your word will accomplish its purpose today in this place. God, I pray that you will open the eyes of our hearts, that they may be enlightened to know the greatness of the promises you've given to us, to know of what is already ours in Christ. And God, I pray that you'll give us wisdom in applying those promises, in experiencing those promises in our lives here and now in this place. God, I thank you for Jesus who is exalted above every name, who rules over every power. In fact, all of those powers are in subjection to him and under his feet. And he is the head of this body. He is the head of this church. And we praise. We praise Christ today. 
in this place. And we ask that you would change us, move us, grow us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. All right, so you saw Paul make this transition from theological doxology into prayer for his brothers and sisters. We see the specific contents of that prayer starting in verse 17. This is what he says. This is what his desire is, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. And I want to stop right there and make the first little bit of application. What Paul is doing there is he's praising the Father, right? He's recognizing who the Father is, and he's naming him, and he's describing him. And it's really interesting, if you study Paul's writings, how he refers to God. He refers to him uh, by some common statement and by some unique statements. Every once in a while, he will throw in something new, and it's one of the things he does here. He calls him the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory. And I want to make one quick application that we won't go back to at the end, and it's this. When we pray, when we pray, we need to lift him up, right? We need to lift him up, and we need to not get in a rut in the way we refer to God and in the way we think about God, right? God is described in all kinds of interesting ways throughout the scriptures, right? Did you read that a minute ago? A lamb standing as if slain, right? A father who loves us, a, a, a mother hen who cares for her chicks. He's described in all of these interesting ways throughout the scriptures. And yet oftentimes when we go in to him in prayer, we say the same thing over and over again, right? I typically say just God. My youth minister growing up said, dear heavenly father, Every time, every time he prayed, right? We get in this rut and we refer to God in only one way. And I'm afraid that that reveals that maybe we only think about him in one way. And so my encouragement and, and the encouragement that I got from studying the text today is be creative and don't get in a rut when we pray. Second application about when we pray is that we need to be careful not to bring him down. We need to be careful not to bring God down to our level. Jesus, when he teaches us to pray in the Gospels, he says, pray this way, our Father, right? That's a beautiful statement, isn't it? And we talked about that a little bit last week. He is our Father, and we have this relationship with him, and there is a closeness with him. But that's not where he leaves it, right? Jesus doesn't just say, pray this way, our Father, but our Father who's in heaven, right? He is high and lifted up and glorious, and his name is hallowed or reverenced or respected, and we need to approach him with that way. So the two applications about the introduction of Paul's prayer here are this. Don't be careful. I mean, do be careful. <laughs> don't be careful. Be careful that you don't get in a rut. Be careful that you don't get in a rut and think only one way about the Father. And secondly, don't bring him down. Don't bring him down, but recognize you are praying to your Father who is in heaven. You are praying to your Father who is the King. You are praying to your Father who is the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. Don't bring him down, but recognize you have a relationship with the one who is high and lifted up. That's a good thing. That is a beautiful thing. So Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give to you. That's so important that he says that he would give to you wisdom and revelation and all of this stuff that he is going to talk about comes from God. Right? He gives it to us. Now, I want to guard us here when we think about this, that if Paul is articulating that all of this promise, all of this goodness, all of this power, all of this wisdom and knowledge and understanding, if it comes from above, we could abuse that and say, well, if he gives it, then I'll just sit around and he'll give it to me. Right? I'll just sit around and he will zap this wisdom, he will zap this revelation, he will zap this knowledge into my mind and I don't have to do anything. Does it work like that? Have you experienced it working like that? No. Typically, the way it works is we seek him, right, and he provides what we're looking for, right? We go after him, and he gives to us. You are not going to grow 
You're not going to grow in intimacy, in knowledge, in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ if you do nothing. All right? He's not going to give it to you while you just sit there. I really, I really don't think he's going to do that. Right? I was talking to someone not too long ago uh, about the gospel and um, talking to them about Jesus. And they didn't know much about the gospel. And I gave them a Bible. Uh, I gave them a Bible because they said they didn't have one. And uh, she took it and, and went away. And a couple weeks later, I followed up and I said, hey, you still got that Bible? Yeah, yeah. I said, are you reading it? No, but I'm carrying it around everywhere I go. And I said, that doesn't do any good. It's not going to do you any good, right? And a lot of times we approach church that way. We approach our relationship with God that way. Are, are, you, are you searching him? Are you looking for him? Are you pursuing him? Nope, nope, but I'm here. I'm here, I show up, and I sit there, and, and, and I want him to come to me, and I want him to give me all these things, but I'm not really doing anything to pursue those things. Jesus says in the gospel, in, in Matthew, I think it's chapter 4, verse 4. No, chapter 7, verse 7, right? He says, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. And I think that's a good picture of the biblical balance of all of this, and we're going to talk about it more in a little while. He will give, but he's not going to give what you're not looking for. He's not going to give to you what you're not seeking after. And so when we're talking about growing in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, my encouragement to you is to pray like Paul prays. God, give me wisdom. Give me revelation. Give me knowledge. And then go looking for it, right? Pray that he would give it to you and then open up your Bible and read and let him give it to you. Does that make sense? A little bit of biblical balance. And we're going to talk about what would happen if we take one or the other of those ideas. If we only seek and never ask, right? If we, if we, if we, if we uh, only work and never depend on him to give or if we are always depending on him to give and never work. We'll talk about the dangers of those two things in just a minute. So he says... I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. I think that's so important the way he prays here, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It's important to remember at this point who Paul is talking to. He's talking to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's talking to saints who are at Ephesus, saints who are in Christ at Ephesus. He's not talking to lost people. He's not saying to lost people, my prayer for you is that your eyes would be open, the eyes of your heart would be open. He's praying to Christ's people. He's praying to save people that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened so that they would know. And so I think when we read this text, we need to see him speaking to us. That needs to be the prayer for us. That needs to be my prayer for you, your prayer for me, your prayer for each other. It needs to be that our hearts, the eyes of our hearts, would be enlightened. And that's what we want here at First Baptist Church. We don't, at First Baptist Church, we don't need more truth, right? We don't need more revelation. We don't need a new idea or a new truth. We just need the scriptures, right? The same thing we've been preaching forever, we just keep on preaching it, right? So what do we need? We need our eyes open. We need the eyes of our hearts to be open, to see the truth that he's already provided, to know the promises he's already given. We need our eyes open. And so I want you to pray that for each other. I want to pray that for you, that our eyes would be open, the eyes of our hearts, our ears would be unstopped so that we would hear the truth and know the truth. We don't need new truth. We just need to hear the truth he has already delivered to us. Notice what he says next. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. That seems to be the essence of Paul's prayer for the people, that they would 
No. All of what he talked about before, that God would give a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that he would open the eyes of their heart, that seems to be the means to this end that they would know certain things. Seems like his prayer for that church is that they would know something. And a lot of us would say, really? Really? That's what his prayer for the church is, that they would know something? Yeah, it's exactly what he says. Because we need to know certain things so that we could live in that truth, right? We need to know about his power. We need to know about his hope. We need to know about that inheritance so that we can know how to live, right? We've got to know certain things so that we will be able to live within those truths. If you don't know them, you can't live within those truths and you won't experience the richness of the promises he has made. So Paul says his prayer for the Ephesian church is that they would know. Well, what does he want them to know? Three things. Three things Paul wants the church at Ephesus to know. Number one, he says, that you will know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. This reaches back to what we've already talked about in verses 3 to 14. He chose us, right? He called us. He saved us. It's about his plan of redemption, which is our hope. His calling, his calling, his choosing, all of that is our hope. His calling is our hope. Secondly, he says, the other thing that I want you to know is what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Is it that we are his inheritance or that he is our inheritance? Which is it? It's both, right? We are his inheritance. God has redeemed a people to give to his son, right? We are Christ's inheritance. That means there is value there and there's glory in all that. But at the same time, we receive a great inheritance, don't we? Being Christ's people, being his followers, being the redeemed, we receive an inheritance that is imperishable, right? Peter talks about this, right? We haven't been redeemed by perishable things like silver and gold, but with blood, right? blood and certain promises we receive an inheritance as well and this is definitely future oriented right when he talks about the inheritance in the saints that is future oriented and in my notes I wrote future tense for us and for him and when I wrote that it threw me into a total tailspin and I got totally lost in my own thoughts because here's the question is there any kind of future tense for the father or does he live in some kind of eternal present tense where there is not something that lies ahead because he already knows what is ahead. He knows what is ahead just like he knows what is behind, right? He is over all of that time, space, and all of those things. So is there something that's in future tense to him? And I got to tell you, I sat there for 30 minutes and I didn't do anything. And I just thought, what, what, what am I going to do with this? So I want you to do that for a little while, right? We'll take a little break and you think about that. Is there a future tense for the father who knows the future like he knows the past? Is there anything that's in a future tense for him? That's good conversation at lunch today. Don't you think? Some of you are like, well, I don't even know what he's talking about. Was there a, or is there a flux capacitor involved in this somehow? Um, no, no DeLorean, no Michael J. Fox. This is just, just theology here. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is the second thing he wants us to know, and it's future tense. Third thing he wants us to know is in verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? So number one, he wants, to know what the, wants us to know about the hope of his calling. Number two, about the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And number three, about his surpassing power. And what Paul does when he talks about power, he's going to elaborate on power a great deal. He just lumps on word after word after word to show two things. Number one, that the power he's speaking of is superlative power. 
it is the greatest power, right? Notice the way he does this in, in verse 19. He says, what is the surpassing greatness of his power, right? There is no power like God's power, is there? Nothing like God's power. The greatest display of power that we see on this planet pales in comparison to his power, right? Because by his power, he made those powers, right? Uh, I've seen some, some pretty powerful things uh, in my life. When we were in Mississippi, Hurricane Katrina came through. The eye of Hurricane Katrina came right over our house. It was powerful, powerful stuff, right? Uh, a 70-mile-hour gust of wind is one thing. 70-mile-hour sustained wind for, like, all day, it's another thing. And it was powerful. There was stuff blowing around all over the place. Incredible power. But it pales in comparison to God's power, does it not? His power is superlative power. It is the greatest power. There is no power more powerful than his power, right? Sing about it, don't we? Every once in a while we sing a song that says there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. We sing that song sometimes in Mississippi, and we would try to see how many powers we could get in, right? You remember that? Every once in a while there's power, 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 wonder-working power. <laughs> it's lots of power, lots of power. So it is superlative power, but it is also comprehensive power. Paul does something really neat in this, in these verses, well, in verse 19 alone. He says, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Four different distinct Greek words for power used in that one verse. It is not just a certain kind of power that God has, but it's comprehensive power. He has every kind of power, right? Notice the, the four words are these, power, working, strength, and might. And so what Paul does is he says, how many words, I can, I can imagine Paul doing this saying, all right, how many words are there in the dictionary to refer to power? And I'm going to work all of those words into this one sentence to talk about the power that God has that he wants us to know about and not just to know about, but to experience. Okay. So it is, it is superlative power. It's the greatest kind of power and it is comprehensive power. It is every kind of power that God has. All right. And it is this power that he wants us to to know. It is these things that Paul wants us to know, but I'm, I'm not going to go that way just yet. What I want you to see first is what we see in these verses, in his desire for us to know about the hope, the riches, and the power, is that there's a past tense to this. There's a past tense speaking of where we came from, that is the calling. He wants us to know where we came from and how we came to be. Number two, he wants us to know where we are going. There's a future tense in the inheritance, right? We look back on our calling and we look forward to our inheritance. And in the meantime, in the present tense, how we get there is power, all right? So what he wants us to focus on most is to know this power because it is that power that we live in now. Tracking with me on this? So he's going to elaborate on the power. He doesn't really elaborate on inheritance. He doesn't really elaborate on, on uh, calling, but he spends a great deal of time talking about power. And he says, if you want to know about this power that I want you to know about, you look to one place. You look to the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection and all that comes after this. Look what he says in verse 20. He says in verse 19, and I also want you to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. All right? You want to know about this power. You want to know this power. You look to Jesus and the things the Father did in Jesus when, verse 20, he raised him from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead, right? 
And, and other people have been raised from the dead, haven't they? Can you name anybody else that's been raised from the dead? Lazarus is one of them. There are a couple of others. Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. There are a couple of other people in Scripture that are raised from the dead. But hear me clearly. No one has ever been raised from the dead like Jesus was raised from the dead, right? Never again to die. Defeating death. Winning the victory over death. Never again to die. No one has ever been raised from the dead like Jesus was raised from the dead because no one has ever died like Jesus died, right? And no one has ever died like Jesus died because no one ever lived like Jesus lived, right? Jesus is the only one who is experiencing something like this. And yet Paul says, I want you, I want you to know this power, this power that raised Jesus from the dead. And what he's going to do next is so much fun because he's going to start, he's going to start with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to escalate in talking about power from there. That's incredible to me. That you're going you're to start the crescendo at the resurrection of Christ. That seems to be the pinnacle to me, doesn't it to you? That's a good day. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a good day. But Paul says that's just the beginning of the display of God's power. It starts at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and moves on. And look at these steps. Look at this escalation. He says, I want you to know about this power which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, number one. Number two, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You know, Jesus wasn't just raised from the dead, right? He was raised from the dead and was here for a while. And then what happened? Yeah, ascended up into heaven at the beginning of Acts. Incredible story, right? The disciples are standing around and Jesus is caught up into heaven and they just stand there, right? Uh, that was pretty awesome. What happens after that? The angel says, what are you doing? What are you doing just looking up into heaven? Get to work. Get to work because he's coming back and you need to be found busy when he is coming back. Spread the word. Spread the news till he comes back, right? That's a that's loose, loose translation of what the angel says. But that's the big idea. All right, so number one, he was raised from the dead. Number two, he was ascended to sit at the right hand, the place of authority, the place of privilege. He sits at the right hand. Look at number three. He brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, number one. Number two, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Number three, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. That's awesome, right? Raised him from the dead. Sended him to the throne, right? And on that throne, it's not just a throne among thrones. It is the throne, right, that is above every throne. It's not some, it's not some pluralism of, well, there's, there's God of the Bible and there's God of the Koran and there's God of all these other things. And they're all kind of equal. No, Jesus is on a throne that is above every throne and all the others are under him. Ha, that, that is incredible, right? And it's incredible when we think about, not just about how glorious that is, that we praise him for that, but he says, I want you to know that power. I want you to know that power that is working in you here and now, right? Jesus was raised from the dead. The Father raised him up, seated him on the throne. That throne is the highest throne. Look what he says next. He says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the ages to come, number four. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. Ah, love that too, right? So he's raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, seated on a throne. The throne is above every throne. And not only, that, not only is it above every throne, but those other thrones are under his feet. Oh, that's a good picture, right? My brother used to do this to me sometimes. He'd beat me up. Right? We'd get in a, not really, but we'd get in a wrestling match. And he would get me down and sit on me. 
right? Hold me down, pin me down. What did that mean? What did that display for all the world? He's stronger than me. Let's do it again right here. Let's show him. <laughs> I think I got a chance now. That whole idea of him being on top of me, his feet sometimes on me, was a display of his power over me, right? And what it's saying here is that Jesus' throne is so far above those other thrones that he uses those lesser thrones, even the greatest ones that the world knows, he uses those lesser thrones as his footstool. They are under him, under his feet, totally in subjection to him. That's power, right? That is power. To put, to put the world's powers... The world's military might, the world's political might, the spiritual forces that operate in this world that are unimaginably powerful to us, they are under his feet as a footstool. He props himself up on them and lays back. That's how in control he is. That's good news for us. And then the last thing he says, and again, you see how this is escalating? Do you think it's escalating? Raised him from the dead, ascended to the throne, throne above thrones, all things in subjection to him and under his feet. Do you see that it's escalating? Well, I think if it's headed on that trajectory, this next one must be even greater. Look what he says the next one is, because it doesn't sound greater, but it must be. He says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It, it seems like we're headed in a certain direction. That there is power on display in the subjection of all thrones under Jesus' feet, and also he has given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. So it seems like that uniqueness in the working of Christ in the church is greater than all those other things and more powerful than all those other things. And that blows my mind. That, that absolutely blows my mind, especially when I think about this on two levels. When I think about this whole trajectory on two levels. One is it, 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 it uh, praise just wants to rise up in me, right? To say, yes, that is my king. Yes, that is my savior. Yes, that is my Jesus who was raised from the dead. That's my God who raised Jesus from the dead, who put him on the throne. That throne's above every throne. Other thrones are under his feet, and he is head of the church. I want to praise him because Jesus is, is worthy of that, right? Isn't that the whole picture I read about in Revelation? Revelation, they look all, who's worthy? Who is worthy to take the book and to break its seals? No one. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth. No one was found worthy. And what did, what did John do? He began to weep. Oh, there's no one. All but then, there's the lamb, right? Standing as if slain. He's worthy. He's worthy. There's no one else like him. He's the one we praise. So one of the things that happens when I read this text is, I want to praise. I want to know about this power I want to know about this power so that I can respond to it in praise. And praise the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not his purpose here. The purpose of this text is not just that they would know about this power and praise Jesus and praise the Father. He says, I want you to know in an experiential, in a relational sense. I don't just, those words for know there are not just general factual knowledge. They are relational knowledge. He says, I want you to experience this power. I want you to experience this. I want you to live in this kind of power. Oh, that blows my mind, right? It blows my mind that that is Paul's desire for the church to know and live in and experience the hope of this calling, to live in and know and experience the riches of his glory, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and to know 
the surpassing greatness of his power, which is displayed in Christ. He says, I want you to, I want you to know that in the meantime. You've been called, you're headed to an inheritance, and in the meantime, I want you to know this power. Do you feel like you know that power? Do you feel like you live and experience that? I'm talking about that kind of power. Do you feel like you live there? I don't. I want to live there more. I want to I know that kind of power. I want to experience that kind of power. I want to live with that kind of power. And that's what Paul wanted for the church. And how does he say you get it? God gives it. God gives the knowledge. God gives the wisdom. God gives the revelation. God gives it. And he says, I want you to know about these things. I want you to know about this kind of power. It's very difficult at the end of verse 22 and 23 to understand exactly what he means. But the bottom line is, it is the surpassing glory and power of the Lord Jesus Christ on display in the church. So I want to praise him. I want to know about the power. And I want to know the power. I want to experience the power. And I believe that's Paul's desire for the church as well. Three applications today and then we're done. Don't check out. These were important. Last week, last week I said three applications and then we're done. And I saw people putting their Bibles up and putting their pens away and kind of, okay, we're wrapping up. No, this is, this, is where, this is where it happens. This is what you take home. This is where it comes together. So listen to these things carefully. Application number one is that we should pray that eyes would be opened that eyes would be enlightened. Paul says, my prayer is that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. And we want to pray on two levels for this. I know that the application directly from the text is not for salvation, but I think with the rest of scripture, it is appropriate for us to pray that the eyes of lost people would be opened because they're not going to understand and know and believe the gospel unless God opens their eyes to it. In 2 Corinthians, we talked about lifting the veil. Paul said, I want... I want you to lift the veil on their hearts. And so I think we need to pray for lost people in this room and lost people in Harrisburg that God would open the eyes of their hearts, that he would open their eyes, the eyes of their hearts to see their sin, specifically to see their sin, specifically to see his justice and the punishment they deserve for their sin, and specifically to see the Lord Jesus Christ dying for their sin and rising again, to see the bad news and the good news. That happened for you, didn't it? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, at some point, he opened the eyes of your heart, caused you to see, hear, know, and believe the gospel. And we want to pray that that would happen in this place, that someone would see their sin, the weight of their sin, and feel the reality of judgment against them because of their sin. And then in that brokenness, they would also see, by God's grace and his revelation, they would see Christ dying, not not generically for the sins of the world, but dying specifically for them. That he took their sin and died and was buried and was raised the third day. And he is victorious over their sin. And he offers, who, who will set me free from this bottle, body of death? Praise be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory through Christ. I hope that someone's eyes would be open today and that's what we pray. Open the eyes of hearts, Lord unto salvation and open the eyes of hearts lord unto maturity and growth i think that's what our prayer needs to be for first baptist church is not that there would be more truth i think there's an abundance of truth around this place 
I, I think when you go to Sunday school, you get the truth of God's word. When you go to worship, you get the truth of God's word. When you come to discipleship training, you get the truth of God's word. I think just about everything we do around here at First Baptist Church, you are encountering the truth of God's word, right? I think we do that. <laughs> the prayer then needs to be not that truth will be out there, it's out there, but that eyes will be open to see it, that our eyes will be open to see it. Not for the first time, but more. There's not more truth out there. There's just truth that I don't know yet. There's not more power available. There's just power that I haven't experienced yet. Does it make sense? We don't need to ask him to give us more. That's not Paul's prayer. Don't, he doesn't say give them more inheritance, give them more calling, give them more power. He says let them know the power that's already theirs. It's already ours. We just want to know more of it. And guess what? That never stops. No one gets to check out and say, well, 70 years old, I got all the power I need. 70 years old, 75 years old, I got all the wisdom and revelation I need. No, I want to know him more. Do you want to know him more every day? I want to know him more every day. Every day. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, unto salvation and unto maturity and growth. Application number two. Hope, calling, riches, power are yours in Christ. They are yours in Christ. Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know about this hope, so that you will know about this calling, so you will know about this inheritance and you will know about this power. We want to know that power. We want to experience that power. And we want to experience all of those things more and more and more all the time. We talk a lot about trajectory here this pulpit, a lot about trajectory in the Christian life, man, that trajectory needs to be more, more understanding, more knowledge of calling, more knowledge of inheritance, where we came from and where we are going, and more knowledge of power in the meantime, more experience of power in the meantime. Application number three has to do with biblical balance. In this text, what we see is a balance between enlightenment and thought, and also knowledge and faith. I think sometimes we want to say those things, those things compete against each other. Enlightenment, enlightenment or thought, right? What if, what if I put all of my eggs in the thought basket? Then I'm going to know God simply by studying more. I'm going to know God simply by reading more. I'm going to know God simply by listening to more preachers. Are you going to get very far? You might grow in factual knowledge, but not in relational knowledge, right? If you put all your eggs in the thought basket and not any in the enlightenment basket, you're going to end up with dry scholarship. All right, what happens on the other side? If you say, I'm going to put all my eggs in the enlightenment basket. God, give me revelation. Speak to me. But you don't ever want to think. You don't ever want to read. You don't ever want to study. What's going to happen? I'm telling you that's dangerous. I think that's super dangerous. Because if what you do is say, all right, God, I want to hear from you, and you go in your closet and you shut the door, there's no telling who's going to speak to you in that moment. If that's all you've got, there's no telling what's coming into your head at that point. What we need is biblical balance of both of these things, right? I want to do this, then I want you to do this. I want to go to God and say, speak to me. I want to hear from you. I want to know you. Oh, Father, speak. And then go to my closet with my Bible and open it up and read because he has spoken. And only he can help us understand what he has spoken and apply what he has spoken, right? So it's not 
enlightenment or thought. It's enlightenment and thought. Ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. The two other things that we, that we try to put at odds with each other are knowledge and faith. Right? I just, I just believe. I don't understand. I don't know anything, but I just believe and in, in trust in Jesus. Can, can that really even happen? I don't know anything about Jesus, but I believe in him and I trust him unto salvation. No, you've got to know a few things about Jesus, right? That he existed, <laughs> that he is God, that he died for your sins, and he rose again. You've got to know some things about Jesus in order to believe unto salvation, right? Well, what happens if, if we just say, oh, I, I know, I know everything there is to know about Jesus. I can trace his life. I can, I can talk to you about his theology. I know all the facts about Jesus. What's that get you in the end if you don't have faith? Nothing. It gets you smarter, right? You might, win, you might win Trivial Pursuit, yeah, but you don't get to heaven. Knowledge and faith go hand in hand. Knowledge and faith go hand in hand. So two applications. One, don't excuse your laziness with some kind of hyper-spiritual language where you're saying, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm in good relationship and I believe and I want enlightenment and I want revelation, but I don't ever read my Bible and I don't ever go to church and I don't ever talk to anyone about Jesus. And secondly, don't settle for mere scholarship. Don't settle for just facts about the Bible. We want relationship. We want to know him experientially. Let's stand together and pray. God, our prayer today is Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. We ask that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may be enlightened so that we will know about the hope of your calling, that we would know about the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and that we would know the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe. God, for your people, we want to we want to know you more. We want to experience you more. We want to grow in relationship with you. And we want to have a right balance. We want wisdom and revelation. We want you to speak and enlighten us. And we will diligently seek after you and knock. God, we pray that you grow your people in this place. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And God, we pray for lost people in this place. Only you can open the eyes of their hearts. Only you can give them a heart of flesh to believe. Only you can open their hearts to receive the word unto salvation. God, help men, women, and boys and girls to see their sin, to see your justice, and to see Christ as sacrifice and atonement for their sins. To see Christ taking their sin, dying in their place, rising again victorious over sin and death and hell. And God, I pray that men and women and boys and girls will respond with repentance of sin, turning from sin, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and dependence completely on him for salvation, his work for their salvation. God, only you can do that. Only you can speak this to someone's heart. And we ask that you would, not, not for their sake, certainly not for our sake, for your own glory for your own renown, and we will praise you. In Christ's name we pray.